All right, Clark Chaplin, thank you so much for joining me today. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely, my pleasure. Mm -hmm. And today, I mean, we're going to be talking about politics more generally, but also the origins of the political parties here in the United States, the Mm -hmm. Republicans and the Democrats. And, you know, there are are more than that, but really it's a two-party system. Correct. But uh, before we start, you know, just dive right in. Mm Why are you? Why do you think you're qualified to even talk about this in the first place? Well, um, probably uh, my only qualifications that I uh, I, I teach civics, um, and I've been a, a lifelong uh, follower of politics. Um, I I tell the story in in class that I've known. Uh, about politics from a very young age. I mean, I knew by the, what uh, six when I was six years old which political party I was a follower of by listening to my grandparents. Mm. Um, so I've. And, and social studies, history, so, uh, civics has always been of interest to me. So um, I just dove right into it. Um, I do a lot of reading. Uh, I, I read about this uh, daily. Uh, so I, I guess my qualifications are because of my, my occupation and uh, um, my following of the uh, the political scene for, for many years. I was in second grade. My uh, it was the, uh, the 1980 presidential election. And I said to my mom and dad, I will not go to school unless I know you vote for Ronald Reagan today. Mm. Um, and, uh, <laughs> whether or not they did or not, I don't know. My dad's pretty secretive about those sorts of things. Even still today, he won't tell you who every, who, who he ever voted for. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I've been following, uh, I was the weird kid in, in, in grade school that would not, you know, want to watch cartoons. I want to watch the news. Uh, so it's just one of those things. <laughs> very, very interesting. And you mentioned your dad, you know, how your dad was secret about mm-hmm. who he would vote for, his political mm-hmm. affiliations. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you were, in my memory, at high school, you were the exact same way. Kids, yeah. it's still kind of a running mystery as to which political party you affiliate with. Right. But I, I want to say that, you know, you are, this, this is the truth, too. Okay. You're one of the most brilliant political minds that I've I've talked to personally because you had this uncanny ability or at least this rare ability to articulate points from both sides of Mm -hmm. the political spectrum in a respectful and coherent way which is hard to do Mm -hmm. by the way it's Mm -hmm. to make a complex thing uh understandable for kids in high school you were able to do that and and really it was a mystery as to which side you affiliated with more and i respected the heck out of that and that has stuck with me and i try to make that a theme of this show it's like hey both sides come on liberals conservatives republicans democrats that's now it's hard to get both of them to come on it is it is but uh yeah Yeah. i've always respected that so in a way i just kind of want to say thank you well thank you i i appreciate that that's something that i i try really hard to do because um, I, I think so many people uh, from a very young age, we have the uh, the influence of parents and grandparents and, and family and, and community, and that plays a, a big, big role in terms of depending or deciding which political party you tend to lean towards. Uh, and, and to me, it's important that both sides have the opportunity and both both sides have the opportunity to, or I have the opportunity to present both sides so that they can see, hey, you know what? The other side feels a little bit differently about this and, and why they feel differently about it. And um, so I try it. I try really hard to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something that I think about when it comes to uh, both sides of the aisle is, especially now, and, you know, maybe it's just, maybe there's things going into my opinion on this, but it seems like, you know, the everyone says it, we're more polarized now than ever. Mm-hmm. One side, the 
there's more people on the extreme on both sides that really dislike each other. And I hear it all the time. I hear it from both sides. I have friends from both sides and family members from both sides that Mm -hmm. seem to think that the other side is either truly idiotic, Mm -hmm. which, you know, they're not. Mm -hmm. And the other side thinks the exact same thing about them or even that they're they have evil intentions or something as, as wild as that is. And I wish maybe you agree with me. Maybe you disagree with me. Like, do you think that both sides have some valid points in? Absolutely. Okay. Um, the, the thing, both sides at the, at their core want what's best for the country. The way that they want to do it is different. And the, the essence of the difference is what, I mean, that's what we need, uh, to, to have only, and I, you know, to have only one perspective, now you're bleeding into authoritarianism. And when you start punishing people for having their own beliefs and their own thoughts, now we're heading down that dark road that we don't want to go to. And that's something that we've been fighting against since our origins, going all the way back to the, to the you know, since the beginning of what we call the United States. That's what we've been fighting against is authoritarianism. And when you start punishing people for having a different perspective. And it doesn't have to be a, you know, we're going to throw you in prison. But when we start shutting out the other side and the other and and whoever wins an election comes along, they're going to be more prone to wanting to close that viewpoint. And that, to me, gets scary uh, when we start talking about people that want to uh, – when, when, and I agree completely. Polarization is is a good word. It, it's it's all about beating the other side. It's it's not you, you, to to have any compromise is a dirty word, and mm. and and it it turns into if you aren't one hundred percent with us, then you are one hundred percent against us, and you need to compromise. I don't know how any of these people that are in power have stayed married. <laughs> wow, that's good. That's actually a good point. What what can the extremes like if if we continue down this path of polarization? What can that look like? I don't want to know. Um, I, it's it's too scary for me to, to to think that far ahead because it, it's one side then controls all the viewpoints. One side controls all the narrative, and and when that happens, then we start talking about you know, shutting out the other, other side and we you can't compromise. And then it's only one group that is getting what they've always wanted. If the other side were to win, what do you suppose they're going to do? They're going to try to do the exact same thing. And, and so we don't have, at least at, presently, we don't have a lot of people. If you're identified as being a moderate, either a moderate Democrat or a moderate Republican, you're seen as being weak. And, and you're seen as somebody that is not um, committed completely to the party. And that's like a bad thing. You're right. Right. Huh. To be like one foot in, one foot out and be considerate of the other side is a bad thing. Correct. Correct. Interesting. Yes. Well, before we dive into some really interesting questions that I'm excited to get to, I better say, give a quick thank you or more so a shout out to Aftershock Decals and Design. So are you a sharp, charismatic, independent person living in central Illinois? Are you looking for an exciting job with flexible hours where you will hone your sales, communication, and marketing skills and only occasionally be asked to come to a physical location in Fairbury, Illinois? Well then, if you are, listen up because Aftershock Decals and Design is a premier graphic design studio that's looking for a part-time sales 
salesperson to join their growing team. Whether you're a student looking to get some valuable experience while pursuing your degree or a stay-at-home mother, for say, uh, who's craving some part-time work and extra income or someone who's just sick and tired of working an 8-to-5 desk job, this position could be exactly what you are looking for. On a personal note, I've worked with this team a number of times and they are excellent and there's a reason why they're adding to their team and it's because they make tons of great products and they are growing every year. This fantastic opportunity to sharpen your sales chops and earn some serious dough can be had by emailing your resume to kirk at aftershockdd.com or apply online at aftershockdd.com forward slash jobs to begin what might be your dream career. You ever work in graphic design by chance, Kirk? <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> oh, I called you Kirk. I meant Clark. That's My okay. Bad. That's all right. That's all right. I've been called many things. Kirk is Kirk is just one of them. <laughs> Not a very common first name. Yeah. So you have to kind of go with it. <laughs> have you ever found yourself in, I guess, getting heat for your uh, political stances and opinions? You ever find that? No, I haven't. I and I think that's partly due to the fact that I try to be that enigma. Mm-hmm. I try to be, you know, somebody that you, you can't really pin one side or the other. Um, and, and that's, like I said, I've learned that. <laughs> I've, I've learned that growing up with, uh, with my parents and um, my mom. Uh, she's a strong Republican. My dad, you just never knew. Uh, and so uh, um, I think that's part of, part of the reason why I've been able to, to avoid the, uh, any sort of a, a, a label. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's we're going to be talking about politics more generally today, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but let's start with the fundamentals, the foundation of all this, which sure. is politics in general, maybe mm-hmm. the polity, if I even understand the word mm-hmm. much at all. But what are politics or what is politics, I should say? Politics is simply the idea that both sides or, or it's the idea that individuals and groups are seeking to influence the conduct and policies of government. And that's all politics is. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be government. I mean, it could be the conduct and policies of a youth sports team, um, something along those lines. Anytime that you've got people that come together for the purpose of something other than themselves, there's going to be politics because both, there's always going to be somebody in there that, or, or multiple people in there that want to control the direction of where things are going. And so that's all politics is. It's it's the people or a group of people wanting to have influence on policies made by some larger body? Correct. Okay. Correct. Got it. So politics, the word kind of comes from policies maybe and Mm -hmm. ticks. I don't know what that would... Well, I think it's just, uh, um, again, that uh, pluralization. Okay. Yeah. I see. Well, very interesting. That clears up a lot of stuff. Yeah. Politics is just people trying to implement or have some say in the policies made by a larger body. Right. Very mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Okay, so, I, I mean, we're probably jumping a lot of steps here, mm-hmm. but I'd like to talk about the origins of the two-party system in Absolutely. America. Where do we even begin with that? Well, you have to go back, um, all the way back to the, the time of the writing of the yeah, the Constitution. Um, at the at the point at that point in uh, 1787, there were or 17 uh, yeah 1787, there were no political parties in the United States. Um, you had what we called factions, and factions were small groups. Um, the difference between a faction and a political party is that a faction typically lasts for a very short period of time, and they're focused on one particular issue. And and then once that issue goes away, the faction dissolves. With a political party, it's a long term. 
advocacy. So you're you're seeking some sort of a a, a consistent, um, I guess, uh, consistent direction that you're always working together towards a common cause. Um, so it, it goes all the way back to uh, 1787. Um, and inside the Constitutional Convention, you had two groups, one group called the Federalists, the other called the Anti-Federalists. Mm-hmm. Um, the Federalists were all about the idea of a, a strong government and passing the Constitution. The Anti-Federalists, their leery of too strong of a government because you got to remember it wasn't that long ago that they just fought the revolution and what we were concerned with was getting rid of the, a strong government so they were very much in favor of the idea of a, of the states having the power hmm. so let's fast forward to 1792 and there were no political parties that first election was george washington the constitution had it set up with whoever wins the presidency or whoever has the most votes as president whoever wins the second most votes as vice president Mm. And there were no parties. So it wasn't, you know, you weren't going to have a mixed government. Whoever wins, second place gets vice president. It's because of George Washington's presidency that we start to see political parties forming in the United States. And some of the things that took place, most especially with uh, Alexander Hamilton and his treasury plan, that's really where we start to see the differences. And we start to see the Federalists and the Jeffersonian Democratic Republicans, which is just a mouthful. Um, Democratic Republican to us today seems like that's an impossibility, but that's really what they were called. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the, the, the Federalists under Hamilton, they continued that idea of a strong government. The Jeffersonians, central government, the Jeffersonians wanted that idea of a small states, uh, more states rights kind of a system. So they kind of became, the, or the Anti-Federalists kind of became the Jeffersonian Democratic Republicans. So okay. it goes back to the uh, um, the Constitution. Well, let's clear something up here. Uh-huh. So you're saying the words I, I hear the words democratic, uh-huh. and I, I think it almost has two meanings. I think if something's democratic, it's of or pertaining to the Democratic Party in the mm-hmm. United States mm-hmm. today. It's a democratic law, mm-hmm. uh, but also it's it's of or relating to a democracy. Correct. Right. So Correct. when you said these the Jeffersonian Democratic Republicans, yes, are you saying that they were? What's even Republican mean? Because I assume that Jeffersonian were people that were following Jefferson, mm-hmm. more or less, mm-hmm. and they were also Democratic, believing that the people should have a large voice in the government's decisions, mm-hmm. but they were also Republican. What does Republican mean in the in the real sense? In this sense, a Republican is going to be the person that they, they favor the republic. So it's a republic system of government, which goes back to uh, the uh, the ancient Greeks. It goes back to the Romans, um, and and that's where the word republic is going to come from. And, and so they were, I guess, melding the two, uh, the democratic republicans, um, that they were a democracy in the way that we we voted, but they were in favor of the republic, as mm. opposed to being opposed to the republic, which wouldn't make any sense to them. Maybe you know. Pardon me here. You know, I'm I'm just a man. I'm not a. I don't have this major or anything. But when you say republic, uh-huh. what is a republic? You said it's Greece, uh, a Greece type of style of government. What's the difference between that and democracy? Oh, okay. Um, a democracy at this point in time in the early uh, late 1790s, 1800s was a dirty word to a lot of people. We don't want a democracy. A democracy is what happened to Greece. In Greece, they tried this government of the people where it was everybody participated. And eventually over time, 
people began to lose interest and they stopped participating and their democracy collapsed. So we don't want to do that. What we want to be is we want to be like the Roman Republic, where in a republic you have people that vote, but the voting is not for everything. You elect people, and when you elect the people, they then make the decisions for you. In a democracy, you vote for everything. Uh So it would be a direct Mm. democracy. Everybody votes on everything. And, well, you know, after a point in time, we all get sick and tired of voting on little things. So why do we want to keep doing this? It's going to be – it's too much hassle. It's too much work. So I'm just going to – somebody else will take care of it. And so with a republic, what I'm doing is I'm electing somebody who wants to do this job – to make the decisions, and then hopefully they make the decisions that I favor. If they don't, now's my opportunity to to either A, run against them, or B, uh, let them know that I'm not happy with their decisions. And, and vote against them the next right. time around. Correct, correct. Okay, well, I appreciate you articulating this in a way that I can understand, and sure. I'm sure the listeners are going to appreciate it as well. Mm-hmm. So... It sounds an awful lot like a republic involves something like an electoral college, which we have uh, representatives, correct. literally. Correct. Uh-huh. It, the United States is much more a republic than it is a true democracy, correct? Correct. correct. And and that was the the intention from word one. Um, the, the people that wrote the Constitution, they were very much those that were uh, the wealthy. They were the ones that had the positions of power. And they wanted to maintain that system. If we went to a democracy, as what they had in ancient Greece, the worst thing that they could possibly imagine is that we're giving power to people who are uninformed, people who don't know, you know, left from right, so to speak. And and we don't want those individuals making the decisions because the first thing they're going to do is they're going to take the power and authority away from me. Hmm. Boy, is that interesting. Well, you, you see that concern... Or people getting fed up with that idea of of a republic right now. I mean, mm-hmm. you see it with, I mean, school board meetings and masks. Correct. It's like, oh, you think you can make these decisions without us? Mm-hmm. Well, here we are, right. and now we want you out. And it's like this is what the people that you know the founding fathers with the republic feared. I feel like, yeah, like you well, know, I think that's a valid observation. Sure. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I feel okay. So I hear on the news all the time. There's. There's montages of, you know, they'll take 50 different news stations Mm. and they always seem to say the same line. It's blah, blah, blah is a threat to our democracy. Sure. sure. Why do they say democracy if we really don't have a a democracy? I mean, maybe I'll let you say something. Well, I I think over the years we've become more democratic. Um, It's in that's a little D democratic um, Mm. in the sense that we do allow more participation from the people. But at our core, we still are a republic because if we were a democracy um, in in the the truest sense, we would not have elected representatives making decisions for us. Now, we could do an indirect democracy, which is what we are. But if we want to go to the true root of the word democracy, then the people rule. And in that sense, in a true democracy, everybody's going to be participating. Um, and so I think what they're when we hear the, th- the the threat to democracy phrase being used, so much of that is an effort to get our attention and to kind of, you know, uh, scare us into realization that, you know what, 
my side is saying that this is a threat. And so we need to be, you know, on alert and prevent this from taking place because both sides are going to do it. Like you mentioned, you've got all, uh, you know, if you're talking the, the, the liberal media or the conservative media, both sides are going to be saying the other guy. And here's where we get back to our polarization. The other guy is trying to destroy us. Hmm. Now, I, I want to talk about the difference between, you know, what it means to be liberal mm-hmm. and conservative. And I mm-hmm. think the etymology of these words is very important. You know, you, sure. you said uh, democratic, it's uh, the people rule. Uh-huh. And I, I think that's that's Latin, right? For yes. demo. Uh, I agree. Like, demos cratia. Demos cratia. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. That sounds Latin. Yeah, it does. Okay, but it's Greek. Yes. Okay. So... Before I ask about liberal and conservative mm-hmm. and, and the differences between them, mm-hmm. what do you think about my idea of it really? I really don't like that uh, news agencies mm-hmm. they call it the legacy media, mm-hmm. and I'm not like a, I'm not a guy that ever says you know fake news or anything like that. Sure, not mocking people who do, uh, it's just not my thing. But they're at the end of the day, to me at least, they seem like they're sales companies and they're mm-hmm. trying. They're they're advertising. They have to get mm-hmm. people clicking and tuning in, so they have to be a little outrageous and a little uh, polarizing and a little uh, mm-hmm. rage inducing. Sure, sure. Do you think that that's true, and is that a problem in your opinion? Well, I think it it certainly is. I think uh, what we've done is we've gone to this twenty four hour news cycle, and we've got uh, you know various stations who um, are are that's all they do is the news all the time. And so, like you mentioned, as a way to keep viewers in, uh, interested, we have to um, almost stage manage what it is that is taking place so that it, it is, is taking the, the perspective that I want my viewer to walk away with. Um, sure. I think it's a, it's, it's a problem. Um, uh, News should be news. Um, it should not be necessarily a, a one-sided viewpoint. Um, to me, and this is what I, I, I work on every day, it's I want to make sure that I'm presenting information that is from both sides so that the individual can then take that information and make a decision for themselves. Is this... Oh, that's genius. That's which, awesome. I mean, which, it's great. Which, which side do I tend to lean more towards? Um, and it's something that I, like I said, I do it every day when I, when I'm in the classroom, I'll open up uh, each period with what I call my news and notes. And it's just kind of a rundown of some of the different things. And, and to gather my information, I'm reading, you know, three or four different newsletters, one uh, that leans left, one that leans right, one that comes more from the center. I'm trying to find everything that I can so that the individual can make the decision for themselves. I think this is the right way. I think this is the right way. Why do some people say that uh, Abraham Lincoln, if he were alive today, he wouldn't be a Republican? I think probably because there's the uh, Lincoln's Lincoln's view of the Republican Party is very much, I think, uh, um, the opposite of what a lot of Republicans are today. It's it, it Lincoln's idea for a Republican back then was he wanted to include as many different people from as many different uh, uh, backgrounds and. And I think a lot of people then, that included the former slaves. Um, it wanted to be a, a, a big uh, big tent party, uh, so to speak. So you include as many people in that tent as you possibly can. Um, so I think that's probably where that's coming from. Can you summarize that in like one sentence? What sure, do you, sure. try, try to do that. Sure. Um, the idea that Lincoln is would be against 
or, or not a part of the Republican Party today, I think goes to the idea that the Republicans then were much more open to bringing in different groups and different viewpoints. Okay, so you're saying that that's not the case now? It seems almost like it. it it's along those lines of if you don't follow the leadership and and go in the same direction as everybody else, then you're kind of outside of the party. Now, I'm not saying that the party itself doesn't have members of, of different races and different ethnicities and that, because it certainly does. But I think a lot of what happens today versus what Lincoln had in mind, I think are, are very contrary. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What's the, have you heard about the big switch? I'm positive you've, oh no, you, no. the big switch. Like when, if you look back, what is this? It's like Democrats were okay. the I more. Know what, I know what you're going with now. I've never heard okay. it referred to as the big switch, but yes, the parties do um, in the, the mid 1880s, uh, mm-hmm. early 1890s, they do kind of reverse and the Democrats become much more um, what we today would as- uh, assign to uh, Democrats are more, uh, they move away from the state's rights. They move more towards uh, um, a stronger national party. Uh, the Republicans then move more towards states' rights um, and, and less government control um, over the individual. Um, so it, it kind of reversed um, at, at, at that point in time. Um, a lot of that, I think, goes along with progressivism um, mm-hmm. in the early 1900s, early uh, up until the 1920s. Okay, so you're saying that Democrats were originally, and I might have got this wrong, I apologize. <laughs> Democrats were, were originally wanted more power for the government. No, 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 less power for the government. Right. And now they became more, they want more power for the government. Right. Whereas the Republicans originally wanted more, now they want less. Correct. Correct. Okay. Correct. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And let's talk then about Republicans and Democrats today. Mm-hmm. It's relatively confusing. I've got to say that the origins of them. It's not exactly super clear. You can't just figure it out by <laughs> looking at the names at all. No. So today, Republicans and Democrats were mm-hmm. basically a two-party system here in the United mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. What are the core principles and values of, of both of these? Well, the Democrats um, for a long time have been the party that, or I'd say probably since the uh, um, since FDR, has been the, pow- the party of more, more government involvement, um, a, a stronger national government. Um, they're going to look towards providing more, that the government can do more to help the average person. And if the government can do more, it should do more. Um, and so that's why we start to see a lot of these larger programs, things like Social Security, didn't exist until FDR in the 1930s. Um, and today it's, you know, it's ingrained. It's, it's, it's one of the uh, only two programs that the government offers that's what we call an entitlement that they don't bring it up for votes for uh, continued funding it is just going to happen um the other one being medicare which that doesn't happen until the 1960s with uh, lbj um so 
those sorts of programs are the sorts of things that we're talking about with more uh, with the Democratic Party. They they try, they they try to promote equality. Um, they're the party that is more um, interested in expanding opportunities to vote. Um, they're the party that is is trying to um, provide for more people. Um, now, on this, how do you pay for all of that? Then becomes the next question, and that's mm-hmm. they then become the party of. Well, you pay for it through taxes, and so they become the party of higher taxes. Um, Can I ask one question sure, about the Democrats? Sure. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, could you just tell the listeners so we all understand it? You know, what is Medicare or Medicaid, sure. and what is uh, Social Security? Well, Social Security is your what we would uh, back then would have called the old age pension. Um, so you've uh, you know you reach a certain age. It's then uh, something that uh, because you've worked so long, uh, we're going to provide you with a small pension payment. Um, it goes back to uh, the, the Great Depression, and, and one group in particular, the elderly, they didn't have any sort of in, source of income. And so because they didn't have a source of income, when hard times hit, they're going to be one of the first groups that's going to suffer. And so we're, we're looking at it and saying, you know, this is something we don't want to just abandon them. We need to do something to help them. And so one thing that we can do is to provide them with a little bit of income. Um, and it's continued ever since, obviously. I mean, it, it becomes it just some, such a good idea right. that we kept it. And it was originally only supposed to be for a 15-year lifetime. You know, they'd originally planned 1935 by 1950, the program's going to be over. Hmm. Um, and, and it's obviously lived its uh, original intentions. I mean, here it is 2022, and we're still uh, using uh, the uh, the Medicare system or the uh, Social Security system. Medicare, Medicare is something that also came along um, in the 1960s that... Um, is an old for it's what's originally intended for the uh, the older uh, population as a health insurance system, because one of your largest out one of your largest uh, uh, expenses is going to be healthcare as you mm-hmm. get older, and so one we're going what we're going to do is we're going to provide you with low cost health insurance for the elderly. Um, we then also offer Medicaid, which is money that we give to the states to pay for those uh, single parent uh, families, the uh, um, those that uh, fall below a certain uh, uh, income level. We're then going to give money to the states as a way to help them pay for those individuals to have health care. I see. So like if someone has you know, a, a series of strokes or something like that and they need help and they don't have uh, adequate funds. health insurance... Mm-hmm. Or yeah, the adequate funds. That's when Medicaid, on a state by state basis, I would assume, sure. yes, would give much. you uh, what they would determine enough money for, to right. cover that stuff. Correct. Correct. Interesting. If uh, is there any chance that if there's a Republican governor in these states mm-hmm. that he can undo or or put off Medicaid, or is that just staying everywhere? Well, what they've what was happened since 2010 with uh, the Affordable Care Act slash Obamacare slash whatever you want to call it. Um, What's happened is that states then had the opportunity to um, expand the, the the base that Medicaid would be available to. And if you expanded the base, then that allows for more people. Some states have said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to expand that, and, and we're not going to open it up to more people. Um, and that is a state's decision. Um, you've seen uh, uh, some of your... Uh, um, uh, what would be considered more conservative states uh, um, saying, no, we're not going to do that. And, and your more liberal states opening it up. Now, gradually over time, some of those more conservative states have switched and they've said, well, no, we're going to open it up. Uh, we're going to expand the Medicare uh, opportunities, but uh, not every state has. 
Mm-hmm. So are there are there any states where uh, Medicare is not a thing at all? No, no, that's a federal program. So federal pro- or yes. Medicaid, I mean. Medicaid, no. Um, every state has it to a certain extent. It's just how many people are able to take advantage of it. That I differs. see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I want to ask you about uh, Republicans and their core values in, in just a second. Sure. First, I got to say thanks and yeah. you know pay the bills here. So <laughs> I'd like to take a second to say a quick thank you to Fairbury Furniture because Fairbury Furniture is Central Illinois' premier furniture store. Would you agree with that? Yeah, sure. We've bought a lot of our stuff at the, for our house uh, from Fairbury Furniture. That's what I'm talking about. Great people there at Fairbury Furniture. Great products. This family-owned business offers a vast selection of premium furniture items from all of your favorite brands, including Sealy, Best Home Furnishings, Leather Italia, Tempur-Pedic, and Ashley, just to name a few. And right next door to their gorgeous 7,000-square-foot furniture showroom, you will find the Fairbury Furniture Mattress Store, home to all of the latest and greatest mattresses in any and all sizes. Here at Fairbury Furniture, the staff is helpful and friendly, and they are well-stocked with all the mattresses, tables, chairs, recliners, couches, rugs, and decorative pillows that your heart could desire. So make your home interior beautiful, comfortable, stylish, and delightful when you shop at Fairbury's own Fairbury Furniture. And speaking of premier places in central Illinois, let me give you a quick word from my friends at Dave's Supermarket. Since 1950, Dave's Supermarket in Fairbury has been wowing customers throughout central Illinois with their unmatched customer service, delectable deli market, beloved grocery carryout service, and many other fortes, which is why they've earned hundreds of five-star reviews online. Dave's Third Street Deli has plenty of seating and is a destination place to meet your family and friends for good food, fun, and fellowship. Not only is their home-style fried chicken here the best around, but you can also also enjoy free coffee and 50 cent ice cream every single day. And be sure to check out their Old World Bakery while you're here, where freshly baked goods are prepared every morning. You'll find hundreds of unique and signature items here at Dave's that you won't find anywhere else, like their famous potato salad, ham loaf, and canned meats, just to name a few. Dave's Supermarket is open Monday through Saturday from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. and offers online shopping and curbside services. Come experience this revered location that puts the super in supermarket when you shop at Dave's in Fairbury, Illinois. Wowing the customer for over 70 years. That was Dave's Supermarket. Now, I love Dave's. Dave's I is love awesome. I love Dave's. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so hey, we were just talking about Democrats and their mm-hmm. core values, core principles. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do the same thing with Republicans now. Sure. What can you tell me about their core party platform uh, uh, principles and values? Sure. They're the party of smaller government. Um, they've been that uh, for many years. Um, they believe their their essence is that it the individual should be more in control of their decisions and that they don't want the government forcing things on them. Um, it's, it's more the, the individual um, accountability, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the idea of personal order, personal freedom is, is very, very much uh, at the heart of the Republican Party. Uh, and it, it has been, like I said, for uh, um, quite some time. Okay. Yeah. Real quick, could you tilt that mic so it's just pointed right at your face? So like, just like uh, this? Sure. Like that? Yes, that's okay. better. There All you right. go. Very good. And it doesn't have to be quite that close, but you know, <laughs> whatever. But okay. So what about, it seems like these are 
stereotypes of parents, mm. the Democrats and the Republicans. <laughs> it's like the Democrats, they, they really just want to help you out. They're very, they're very loving. They know it comes at a cost, though. Mm-hmm. They want to they wanna be there for you. They don't want you to fall too hard type of thing. You okay. know, it's like you're sure. watching the child. I, I can't help but, you know, make these uh, metaphors. Yes, yeah. metaphors or whatever about like a family here because it's like, yeah, they're trying to raise their child in the Mm -hmm. best possible way. And one's just, you know, really doesn't want them to fall, really wants to help them out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the other side's like, it's like a stereotypical dad, like, ah, personal accountability. Mm -hmm. You got to, you reap what you sow. You got to, the only thing you deserve is what you earn Mm -hmm. type of Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, First of all, do you think that's at all fair? I think that's a very fair observation. Yes. Uh Okay. It's, you know, the, the different parenting techniques. Uh, one side, you know, some parents are going to be those that, you know, uh, um, are going to be much more hands-on, much more uh, um, what uh, the, the popular term a few years ago was a helicopter parent, you know, trying to fix and trying to take care of and trying to, to uh, uh, provide and, and uh, assure soft landings. And others, they tend to be a little bit more, um, you know, drill sergeant type, you know, uh, um, or, or, or more hands-off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it mm-hmm. seems like both of these concepts or philosophies for parenting or running a country have their time and place oh, sure, where they absolutely. would absolutely be uh, best utilized, I guess. Mm-hmm. It seems like a healthy balance of the two, at least in parenting, I feel like that's the case. Mm-hmm. I assume it's the same for running a country, maybe. Maybe that's a stretch, but it seems like you'd have to have a little of both. Absolutely. I would agree with that completely. And that's that's one of the things that, to me, I think is missing right now is that that idea that compromise is the way that you make things work. Um, you know, using your, your parenting techniques, uh, uh, metaphor, you know, Kathy and I, my wife, we have different techniques. We have different ways of going about it. And at the same time, what we're trying to do is we're trying to do what was best for the kids, what's best for us, the family. And, and, her having her strengths, my having my strengths, but the two of us were working together, even though we might not have 100% agreement on how to implement those strengths. Sometimes her way of doing it was better. Sometimes my way might have worked out better. But at the same time, at the at the end of the day, the idea is that we're working together to try to do this. I Sometimes I really have to stop and, and, and wonder, are we doing that right now? I mean, are we seeing that at a national level when we're or at a state level when we've got one party that is it, with the state of Illinois, one party control like what we have, the Republicans throughout the state, they're feeling like, hey, you know what, you're not listening to us. And that's something that I read about quite frequently is that, you know, the uh, the Republican Party and the General Assembly, hey, we're being shut out. We're not being listened to. Uh, the Democrats <laughs> are, are pushing everything on us and we're not getting a chance to 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 have a role in the lawmaking um, at the national level. It's a little bit different, um, but uh, um, it's not so uh, one party control like what we see. But right now, yes, the Democrats do own all three positions, uh, the House, the Senate and the presidency. But I think what you're seeing is that um, the the margins are so narrow at the na- national level. The, the, the Democrats only hold a very small majority in the House. They have a by, by default, a one-seat majority in the Senate, and th- that that power within the Republican Party to to I guess slow down some of those Democratic uh, um, uh, proposals is much more evident at the national level than what we see in Illinois. 
it's funny because the way you're saying it, like the Republicans feel like they're not being listened to. It sounds like a couple's on the verge of a breakup. It's like, hey, you're not letting me in on these big decisions that we're making. We're kind of uh-huh. ticked off about it. Sure, either sure. We cha- you change something here and start listening to us or we're done and whatever mm-hmm. done means when right. you're talking about political parties. Right. Man, this is it's it's interesting. I wish, you know, I'm sure you guys know you and your wife and your mm-hmm. wife is here. That's why I looked over there. Yeah. Like when it comes to how you're going to go about doing something, you kind of disagree. The way forward, in the best way forward, I should say, is communication. Absolutely. And I feel like communication is just not quite happening on the level it should be. I wish Absolutely. they would all ha- have a mandatory that have to get on a podcast and talk for an hour. <laughs> but man, they're really good at shutting each other out. Yeah, they are. Um, and and I, like we talked about at the opening is the idea of that polarization that we, we – if, if I'm seen as being somebody who's working with the other side, then I'm seen as being somebody who's weak. Um, that I'm, 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 you know, to, to use a, a phrase that uh, um, um, has been thrown around a lot, uh, you're a rhino, a Republican in name only. Um, if, if you're not, you know, full on following the leadership, going with the party. To me, and, and it's something that I talk about in class, one of the problems that I see is that our representatives and senators don't spend time in Washington, D.C. They don't spend time together. All right. Um, and I, you know, students being uh, um, 17, 18 years old, they're getting ready to go to college, some of them. And I, I'll talk about, you know, how mom and dad probably, if you're getting ready to go to school, probably at some point in time have talked to you about, we don't want you coming home every weekend. We want you to stay on campus. We want you to to make friends, make relationships, build camaraderie with the people there. If you're coming home every weekend, you're not you're going to be excluded. You're going to be shut out. You're not going to have any connections in 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 mm-hmm. that environment. Our representatives and senators are coming home every weekend. There, Washington D.C. is a suitcase city. You fly in on Sunday afternoon. You work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday afternoon. You're, it's jet fumes. You're out the door. You're heading back home to your home state. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, if you're not there and you're not having that opportunity to work with each other, to, to spend time in a non-legislative fashion, you know, have a cookout, have a barbecue, you know, go down down the street to the to the coffee shop, to the bar, whatever. Talk with each other. Listen to each other. Now we can build that opportunity for some compromise. If we're not talking, you're not listening. There's this, there's this very strange, I mean, maybe it's just the news. Maybe it's propaganda for a serious lack of a better term. But mm-hmm. it seems like, you know, yeah, that, that sounds great. But is that even realistic? For some reason, there's part of me, maybe I've... Personally, maybe I've just subscribed to this weird narrative going on, <laughs> this like weird conspiratorial narrative mm. that these these senators, these representatives that you're saying should be spending more time in Washington, D.C., that they're more driven by undercover money mm. than everything. <laughs> and I don't know that there's evidence of that, but it just it's flying around that they don't yeah. really care. They're just there for the money. They're there for the fame. They're not there to mm. do good, mm. which... I don't think that's the case deep down. I feel like senators have a far less glamorous lifestyle than right. than would be necessary for them to do it for that, the mm-hmm, fame and mm-hmm, the money and everything. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Do you think that happens much, that they're doing it for the wrong reasons and therefore they're not inclined to get down and dirty and talk with the other side? I think to a certain degree, yes. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm also – senators and representatives, they make $174,000 a year base. I mean, if you have leadership positions, you're going to earn a little bit more. 
with the money that comes in from these these dark what they call dark money uh, sources, if that's a campaign, that money has to go to your campaign fund. You have no control. I mean, you don't get that money is not supposed to come to you. You're not supposed to spend that kind of stuff. I'm sure it does, but at the same time, that money is supposed to be earmarked, or somebody if it's a uh, you know a, a, a political action committee, you have no control over that money. That committee is spending that money on your behalf. Now, can I guarantee that there's some of that money's not finding its way in through the back door? No. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I do think that to a certain degree, maybe it's not the money, but certainly the notoriety and the fame. Um, I can get a book deal. I can write a book. If, I, if, if you know my name, you're much more likely to want to buy my book. Uh, and, and I think mm-hmm. that that comes in that that's a, a, a large, significant influence. Um, I don't, I'm not saying I don't want people to write books. Please write books. But I think that it becomes kind of what I was alluding to with the media. Um, I'm promoting a particular brand. And so if I can continue to maintain that brand, more people are going to buy my books. How do lobbyists play into this whole mess? <laughs> well, lobbyists, they're going to be the whiners and diners. They're going to be the ones that come in and they're going to say, hey, you know what? I'd like to have dinner with you. I'd like to, you know, uh, meet with you. And they're going to then be the ones that are working for maybe a, a company, maybe an organization, maybe a, an industry <laughs> to try to grease the skids so that you either agree or or uh, uh take up a piece of legislation on my behalf or you work to block a piece of legislation on my behalf. Um, I think there's a lot of influence that they play and I think it's, it's too large of a role. Okay. So, so let's discuss really quick the role of lobbyists, you know, Uh because a lot of young kids are going to listen to this and they might not understand exactly what a lobbyist does. And I'm Uh not sure I do. Okay. So you talked about these senators, these members of Congress, these Uh senators, or these uh, representatives. Now, a lobbyist, if I understand correctly, they, they'll come and somehow meet with these people, these sure. very important people who have a sure. large role in what legislation gets passed and mm-hmm, whatnot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They will come and meet with them on behalf of a company, say Ford, just okay. a random example, right. Ford. And they'll come and they'll – I've heard that they'll go to like – they'll take them to dinner. They'll go to like some group gathering and buy them some dinner and try to sweet talk them into, hey, you know – and this is where stuff I feel like corruption can easily make oh, a, absolutely make an entry at this at this point, and they'll say, you know, hey, you you vote a certain way on this next bill, this upcoming bill, we'll be sure to, uh, yeah. It, so maybe there is a transfer of money, mm-hmm. or also it's like you know you'll have a position at our place in a very important role yeah, when you're sure on a board or something. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's uh, um, maybe it'll be I contribute you know, more to your campaign. Um, I give you, you know, a, a, the maximum that a, a company can give uh, to a campaign. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. They'll take them on uh, what used to be called junkets. Uh, so they would take a, a several lawmakers out to a, a very, very nice uh, tropical location and put them up. And, you know, they would then, you know, try to uh, not necessarily directly influence them, but, you know, in a subtle way. Hey, Wine you know, and dine them. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. So, I, yeah, it, it's the, that to me is problematic. Um, yeah, no yes, kidding. Yes, it's it's really amazing to me that that's even a thing that's right. allowed to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, those companies, your, your bigger companies, Facebooks, uh, uh, Alphabet, uh, the owner of Google, um, uh, Amazon, they're spending millions and millions of dollars every year uh, in, in just in lobbying. 
Um, now, you know, they've got billions to burn, but they're spending tens of millions of dollars every year uh, in lobbying fees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about, you know, I've only got you for so long here. Sure. Talk about conservatism in a nutshell and liberalism in mm-hmm. a nutshell. W- what are the... What do those words even mean, first of all? Well, liberal and conservative are um, today too many, I think to a lot of people, it's it's synonymous with Democrat and Republican. Oh, absolutely. We, we, we call a liberal um, uh, somebody that's um, more um, in tune with the idea of being liberal with spending, taxing, much more uh, um, uh, along the lines of what we, like I was characterizing the Democrats before. Uh, conservatives, then we we tie we we tie them with the Republicans, uh, much uh, um, with conservatism though you can, and with Democrats too. You can have differing shades. I mean, uh, Republican uh, for the conservatives, that's just one party under the conservative uh, uh, umbrella. I mean, you could talk about libertarians and libertarians. Um, the 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 best way that I've described them is their kind of constitution. And that's good enough. We don't need anything else. We don't want anything else. Uh, less, even less government control. Mm-hmm. Uh, more individual uh, decision making. That's why their mascot's the porcupine, right? It's like, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, yes. Um, so you know, it 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 really just depends on the individual. But a liberal is going to be somebody that we we do tend to see is a little bit more. Um, Equality and um, in uh, more government con- uh, pr- uh, protection, more government intervention. Um, conservatives then tend to be a little bit more focused on the individual. I always thought of it like you know on the back of a lotion bottle it says apply liberally, yes. which means more than enough, really. Right, right. And that kind of strikes me as you know the same thing with liberals. It's like hey, more than enough help. Right. Let's just you know let's make sure right. we're helping you enough. And then conservatism. I mean, let's conserve energy. Let's not spend as much. Let's right. hold back and let's conserve the principles instilled in the culture in the U.S. that we've had mm-hmm. for so long, mm-hmm. rather than you know step out into the unknown. Right. And I've. I've read a, lots of books on psychology, and it's fairly, it's very interesting how you can predict with like 90% accuracy based on a psychological analysis of someone, mm-hmm. whether or not they're going to be liberal uh, or conservative. Sure. And it's like, you have to have, you have to have one foot in conservatism as an individual. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, you can look at an individual and talk about an individual and a lot of the same uh, principles will apply to how you could better run a country as we've talked about. Yeah. But like... You have to have one foot in conservatism and what you know for sure, mm-hmm. uh, what's stable, what's solid, what's strong, what stood the test of time that yeah. you know is, you know, it's a good foundation and it's always worked. And then you also have to have one foot in progress and looking forward in the unknown and the mm-hmm. hoping for the best possible future. Sure. But you can't, in my opinion, you can't cannonball into the unknown and, oh, crap, <laughs> you know, everything crumbled. <laughs> right. And risk, you know, there's a one in a hundred chance that it could work. Mm-hmm. And you also can't stay in conservatism and just grow stagnant and right. gain mold and moss and stuff and be old and while everyone else progresses. Like right. again, balance is is everything. Mm-hmm. But it one thing I wanted to ask, I didn't know how I wanted to ask it, but it seems like conservatism, Republicans in the right, which I don't even know what the right means, we'll talk about that hopefully. Uh-huh. It seems like God is a big pillar mm. in 
in the right and Republicans mm-hmm. in conservatism. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. fair to say or is that not the case? I would agree. Um, I think uh, uh, religion does play uh, a significant role uh, within the uh, the Republican Party um, and, and the Democrats. Uh, um, I'm not saying that religion doesn't play a role, but I think uh, um, they're a little bit more of a secular uh, uh, viewpoint as opposed to the uh, the more um, um, religious uh, direction that a lot of Republicans tend to take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and where does the right and the left come from? I've well, heard that, some stories. That comes from the political spectrum. Um, just like uh, uh, we have a spectrum of, uh, if, you, if you play with a prism as a little kid, and you look at the uh, the prism and you see all the different shades, you see all the different colors, within politics we have the same thing. Um, and if you were to look with a, uh, a strong enough you know, viewing uh, device, you would be able to see every shade of every color. And so that's what we call the spectrum of light. In politics, we have the spectrum, and that is left and right. Left is then the liberal uh, Democrats, conservative then uh, um, right conservatives, uh, uh, Republicans. Okay. What does it mean to be right, though? Is it just to be more Republican, to be more conservative? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. So it's just that side of the spectrum. Correct. Which is as you go more right, I would assume it, it looks something like, okay, as you as you keep going to the right, it's like less government, uh, be more conservative with the government's finances. Sure. Uh, limiting government's role. Correct. As far as the different things they can do in the mm-hmm. individual's life mm-hmm. until eventually, I, I would assume that um, being a libertarian is very far Right. It's, it's further right than the uh, uh, than the Republicans for sure. Yes, I, I would say if I'm if I'm grading things out, I would say it's probably the next step um, to the right from a Republican. Okay, and what's mm-hmm. the furthest right look like? Like the extreme? Because um, that's I always say yeah. people say Hitler was a far right guy. Yeah, yeah, he was, um, and and at the same time he was also. He dabbled, like you mentioned, uh, you know, with your your discussion earlier. Um, he dabbled in the left too. I mean, um, as a as a fascist, he's glorifying the the individual over the state. Um, but at the same time, some of the things that he was doing was uh, uh, trying to help the average individual, more government control, um, mm-hmm. in in the sense of like. Um, ro- uh, roads and, and maintenance, you know, the Audubon, uh, the Audubon was his idea. Um, and so that, that highway system that connects through Germany, um, that's going to be more of a, a, a left sort of a, a government helping the average person more. So far left look like the extreme of the left. Um, that's where we start to kind of get into uh, um, what a lot of people would say um, is the progressive wing of the Democratic Party is probably more left than the Democratic Party. I mean, certainly it is. Um, And I think that's uh, um, one of those things that is um, pulling what we've started to see, and you mentioned it earlier, is we've started to see the two sides pulling further and further away from the edge. Um, You know, with that political spectrum, the idea that I want to appear more towards the center, but maybe to the right or maybe to the left of the center, as a way, what I could then do is I, if I sit, you know, just left of center, I could pull some of those uh, more liberal Republicans, those more liberal conservatives over to my side. 
And what we would call the person is a swing voter because they've swung from the right to the left in that particular election and vice versa. It works the other way. You know, if I'm a right of center uh, conservative Republican, I can then pull some of those weaker Democrats over to my side. What we've started to see is we've started to see more both parties moving more towards the edge. We've seen them both moving uh, further right and further left. And so that pool that you then appeal to has become much smaller. I'm not going to appeal to as many people over on the right if I'm more far to the left. Some mm-hmm. of those progressive, uh, progressive ideas like your, your, uh, uh, the, the big names that are always thrown around, AOC and uh, um, Presley, um, those uh, uh, Bernie Sanders, that sort of progressive Democrat doesn't appeal to many conservatives doesn't mm-hmm. appeal to many people on the right. Um, and then, you know, your Ted Cruz, your Rand Pauls, those individuals are not going to appeal, appeal to too many people on the left. And so what we, those individuals then that sit in the middle, that's what I was talking about earlier. They then become seen as the weak individual because you're not so far out there with everybody else on, uh, on your side of the, the spectrum. Um, and so, you know, that, that movement further and further right then creates that big gap and that big gap Really, we don't have a whole lot of people who are willing to step into that gap right now. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of moderate politicians right now. Correct. I wish there right. was. I, Maybe they could link the two because yeah. they're too far apart to really hear each other talking. Right. You need someone to relay a message right, almost. Right, right, right. Something that I was reading yesterday was talking about how the the number of one of the perceptions that we have about Democrats, and it's not not on. I mean, it's true, is that they've, they're the party of the coasts. I mean, East Coast, West Coast, and the Democratic Party throughout the mid, mid portion of the country is really struggling to get attention from the, the, the party itself, the, uh, the Democratic National Committee. They're, they're begging, please help us. We, we're, we're you know, almost to the point where if you're a Democrat in some small towns, you're trying to hide it because mm-hmm. you don't want people to to know that you're the Democrat and then you become this pariah and people are, are out to get you, you know, not with pitchforks and, and uh, torches or anything like that, but sure. you then become the target. Uh, and, and so they're, they're trying to cover it up as much as possible. Um, and they're begging the party to do more to help them out uh, in the center of the country. I, I know people personally, a few people actually, who who are Democrats in small towns like, well, Fairbury. Fairbury is mm-hmm. a very, you know, right-leaning town for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Why do you think small rural towns are more often than not right on the spectrum? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the overall um, makeup of uh, the community, not so much in the, the sense of the people, but in the the, the the life of the community, how how old it's been, what the center of the community has been for a very long time. Um, smaller towns tend to be more conservative. Uh, they tend to be more conservative, especially in their finances um, and, and their viewpoints. When you get into the bigger towns, then we start trying to, then we see that opportunity. We need to do more to help more people. We need right. to have a larger government to help more people. When you've got more money, you're right. more willing to spend right. a good chunk of it on some things. Sure, sure. Okay. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. And the far left end of the spectrum, you know, we gave the Hitler example for the Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. What's far left? Is it socialism? Is it? Okay. It's socialism. What about communism? Communism uh, is is something that countries have called themselves. Um, It goes back to uh, Karl Marx and his Mm -hmm. uh, um, 
economic philosophy that we start in capitalism. Capitalism is the uh, the owners and the workers. Um, and in his viewpoint, at some point in time, um, there's in his view, um, he's a conflict theorist. And so with that, he's everything is a conflict. And we're always in conflict. And so the conflict is between the the workers and the owners. And the workers want more and the owners won't give it. And so the workers overthrow the uh, um the owners. Then, according to Marx, we head into socialism. And in socialism, the government controls. The government makes the decisions about how to use resources. They're, they're going to own all of the or most of the resources. Communism then would be, according to Marx, a one class society where there is no government. Good luck. Mm-hmm. That's why you're never to me. That's why you're never going to have a communist system. Now, they've some governments have said that we're on we're we're heading towards a communist system, and so we're we're going to call ourselves a communist system. I'm thinking of the Soviet Union. They were never communist in the Marxist sense. They were more of a socialist system, where the government controls the resources. They determine how to distribute the resources, and everybody is is according to Soviet communism, people are taken care of by the government. Mm-hmm. It, it, so under true communism, you wouldn't even have a governing body like Correct. a true leadership. That's strange. So yeah. it would be self-governing. Everyone's on the same page. Yeah. You don't work for your own benefit. You work for the benefit of everybody else. Right. Society determines what you're going to get. Society determines what we're going to make. Everybody. So you're thinking, okay, so what's to say that somebody doesn't come in and, and break into my house and rob me blind if there's no government to protect me? Why would they? Everybody has the exact same thing. Everybody has the exact same amount. There is no need for private property. That sounds so senseless to me. It sounds like (laughs) illogical. (laughs) Because (laughs) people are going to do that stuff because we're all individuals. We're not robots. People are going to try to get an edge on you. It's human nature. It's why we're where we are now, because we've always been striving to make life a little better for ourselves. Right, exactly. And then when you have time and the ability to make it better for other people, then you do that. Right. But, I mean, some people are more talented and gifted and smarter and harder working than other people for a Mm -hmm. variety Mm -hmm. of reasons. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like Marx fails to acknowledge the individuality of people. Sure, yeah, I would agree. Um, it, it, it's it's that's one of the biggest criticisms of a socialist communist system is that it takes away the in- individual initiative. If everybody is going to be given by the government, yeah. why would I want to work harder? Why would I want to seek an advanced degree? Why would I want to become a doctor when I can make as I'm going to make as much doing this as I would. A factory worker. The incentive to work hard to improve the world is no longer there because you won't get any any reward for that. Correct. Yes, there's reward in just doing good, but that's not sufficient because Absolutely. you it takes resources to do a lot of good, mm-hmm. and you need and the way you get resources is pay, mm-hmm. um, among many other things. So sure. interesting. The more yeah. we talk about it, the more it's like it just seems ludicrous to me. Right, and I think that's where a lot of a lot of the the attention towards the progressives, you know, the idea of um, college education or free college, uh, a community college, and those sorts of things, it sounds very appealing. But at the same time, to me, we're kind of watering things down. You know, we're we're, we're opening it up and we're making it free to everybody. Well, you know what? That to me is is money that we could be spending somewhere else. That if if we're going to spend money on this. Let's put it towards something, or heck, you know, let's go ahead and maybe save some of it. Who knows? Mm. That's a dirty word, I know. <laughs> you know, why would we ever want to save money? But, you know, um, at the same time, sometime you're going to need it. So mm. I, I think some of those policies, it, it leans kind of in that more socialist 
area. We do see other governments uh, around the world that do have what we call a democratic socialist system. Um, Finland. Right. Sweden, uh, Great Britain, Canada is a democratic system. Yeah, look democratic at Canada, socialist. though. There's some, anyway, yeah. that's another story. Well, in, in, in those governments, it's not so much that they're providing everything for everybody, but they're, they're selectively providing certain things, health care in particular, in those democratic socialist economies, is, is more of a, a single payer. The government pays for your health care. Huh. And, and, and that's been something that has been talked about, but, you know, uh, um, certainly has never been implemented here. Hmm. Hmm. I, you know, you have a lot of Canadians that come across the border and seeking elective surgeries Why you don't have, you know, it's a first come first serve. So if I've got, if, if I blow out my knee, I've got to wait in line until everybody else that also has that same procedure that's ahead of me has their procedure done. Right. If I want my procedure done, I got to go across the border and I've got to come to the U.S. to have that elective surgery done where it's, hey, we'll do it as soon as we can. It's mm-hmm. not a first come. It's not a, a, a take your number and wait in line. But thing. then you you pay for it, right? Right. You do. You do. And that's kind of it's like, which do you want more? Do you want it free? But you might have to wait. It might be of lower quality. Or mm-hmm. Do you want it on your time mm-hmm. at a higher quality? But you got to pay for it. It's, right. it's a simple question. It is. It's a trade off. Hmm. Absolutely. And I've heard that in other places, like you said, Great Britain, that this is not true. This is going to sound almost racist, as racist as you can be about uh, Great Britain. But I've heard that their dental care, because it's more <laughs> socialist dental care, mm-hmm. it's of lower quality and there's longer waits and yeah. the damage gets done quicker. Sure, sure. So you and, the, the, and the Brits have never really taken great pride in their, their dental care. I mean, mm-hmm. they've, they've always been, you know, they smoke like fiends and, and that uh, uh, has a, a tendency to also have uh, uh, negative effects on your teeth. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's to them, dental care was never really that big of a priority, um, even still today. What are, can you tell me what are the pros of something like democratic socialism? Um, sure. Um, I think the idea what appeals to a lot of people is that idea that, you know, if, if I can't necessarily afford the way that I describe it is, okay, so think of it in terms of like a Netflix subscription, there's different tiered services. And, and, you know, if I want the gold standard or whatever that the highest, uh, um, uh, subscription fee is, I can get that. Um, and, but at the basic, at the very, very minimum, I can get something and it's going to cost me less. And, and, the British, their system is similar to that. You know, they're going to provide electric, they're going to provide television, they're going to provide telephone. Now, if I want better service, I can go out there and get that subscription from a different company. But the government's going to provide some of those things to people. Um, with the with healthcare, then you're talking about you know, uh, I don't have to pay. To, any uh, when I go to the doctor, I don't have to pay anything. Um, the the government's going to take care of that now. The contrary, the uh, the converse of that is that that comes out of my taxes. Okay, we're kind of winding down this thing here. Okay. I first want to ask: Was there an important topic that you'd like to cover before we? No, wrap I it think up? we've I, I, anything we've, that we've needed to talk about has been brought up. Yeah. Okay. Anything yeah. That I, mean, I had in mind. I yeah. tell you what, I got a lot of understanding from this conversation well, about, you know, the origins of the parties. That was fascinating. What it means to be on the right and the left. You know, it's just a spectrum thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the dangers of being too far right and too far left and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about Medicare, Medicaid. Uh, my mind's racing right now. It's, Good. it's Good. very fun. But I want to wrap up with a question I've been dying to ask you. Okay. Can you tell me with which political party you affiliate with most? 
most would be uh, um, I'm more conservative than I am liberal. So I, I do tend to uh, lean more uh, Republican than Democrat. Um, there are things that um, I don't necessarily agree with completely. Um, and, 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 you know, uh, I think we could say that same thing with the uh, uh, the left as well. You know, there's there's uh, Democrats that don't necessarily agree completely with everything that the Democratic Democratic Party uh, um, believes. Um, but uh, um, yeah, I've I've been a lifelong Republican. Um, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, going back to uh, when I was six years old, I knew which party I belonged to. I can recall my grandfather saying, you know, well, the only way to vote is to vote for a Republican. So I thought to myself, well, grandpa said it. So I guess that's what I'm going to do. Um, and as I've gotten older, um, I've I've learned and, and listened and read uh, more and more about uh, the party. Um, and and that's the, the direction that I've always kind of pointed in. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it was uh, two factors that uh, uh, I guess influenced my my threat to my parents when I was in second grade. Is first, which one was the Republican, and second, oh, that guy's from Illinois, so <laughs> we should vote for him. Interesting. <laughs> you know what? I, I lied. I said that was the last question, but I'm I'm just curious to get your uh-huh. input because I've heard mixed things. I'd I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. But like, there's a lot of, I think in the last um, in the last census they found that. You know, the top five most moved to states in the United States are red states. Mm-hmm. It was either four or five, and like the top five most left states or left from states mm-hmm. were blue. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's something to be said about that? And the way is is it does it have to do with government or does it have to do with location and and the culture in these areas? Any guesses or is that too too? No, no, no. I I have a I have a a view on that. I think with Going back to our liberal and conservative conversation, um, I think it has a lot to do with taxes. I think you're going to see a lot of the uh, the people moving away from the blue states because they can't afford to live there because of the high taxes. Um, and I think a lot of the red states, they have lower taxes. At the same time, they also are offering uh, incentives to businesses to move to their state with lower uh, corporate tax rates, lower property tax rates. And I think that's why you see a lot of those corporations move. And when a corporation moves, many times they're going to give the opportunity to their employees, look, you can either move with us or you can look for another job. And so I think a lot of people are, are following that that lead of, hey, my business is going there. So I'm heading that direction too. And then, you know, you start to see these people, large numbers of people moving. And when that happens, you then start to see, you know, uh, different opportunities develop in those new states and, and more, more reasons pop up for people to move to those mm-hmm. states, um, it would be a recreation or, or attractions or whatever. Um, it then becomes, uh, um, a, a way to hold on to those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't think it's like they're leaving from also, uh, I, I know places like LA and places mm-hmm. like Chicago are mm-hmm. not exactly thriving when it comes to crime and, yeah, and the gang certainly scene. That. Certainly think? that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, but I think what, what we see in a lot of those, and I'm not, you know, it's not a exclusive, but I think in a lot of those cases, what also happens is that people, if they have the opportunity, they might not leave the state, but they might leave the city. And so they'll move into, you know, the suburbs or they'll move, you know, a couple of, a few counties away. I think that's what you're seeing a lot with Chicago is that people are, because of its proximity to both Indiana and Wisconsin, a lot of people will move out of Illinois ah. 
into Indiana and Wisconsin just across the border uh, in those two states, or they might move into the suburbs. What we've seen in Chicago is the population in Chicago is decreasing, and a lot of it is people are moving either to Indiana or Wisconsin, or they're moving to the suburbs. And so what we're seeing with the uh, the new map uh, that's being drawn for uh, uh, representation, what we're seeing is those districts in those uh, uh, suburbs are getting smaller, which means that the population is getting bigger. Um, and your your what used to be your very small dist- districts in Chicago are having to get bigger because the population is getting smaller. Hmm. Very interesting. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well, Clark, this has been fascinating. I have enjoyed it thoroughly. Well, good. I, I have I learned a lot, and and I hope that everyone watching this enjoys it and learns a lot from it as well. Yeah. Before we wrap up, though, I just want to say to everyone watching, thank you so much for watching this episode of The Paul Garcia Show. If you appreciate this episode, please give it a like, leave a comment, and give it a share. And if you appreciate this show, a fantastic and zero-cost way to support it is by subscribing to my page on YouTube, liking my page on Facebook, and following it on Instagram. And if you'd like to support this show's production financially, please consider becoming a patron on patreon.com forward slash Paul Garcia, where you can get early access to each and every episode and have your name run across the screen at the beginning of every show, all for as little as $1 a month. Also, you can donate on Venmo any dollar amount to username The Paul Garcia Show. Until next Sunday, I'm Paul Garcia. God bless and have a great week. And thank you, Mr. Chaplin, for doing this. This is awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. My pleasure. All right.